As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to the latest edition of The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Bruce Feldman, joined as always by my colleague from The Athletic, Stu Mandel. Stu, I was out at Ohio State for a game that turned out to be a huge blowout. Did I miss anything that was going on? I think we're going to get into that a little later. But, you know, just when you think Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M are just just like spinning their wheels to a three and three start and people are writing off Zach Calzada. They beat Alabama. Like, I mean, is this? It's wild. Yeah. Okay. So what do you, what is the headliner of this beyond just, okay, for the first time in 25 games, Jimbo Fisher has been the first former Nick Saban assistant to beat the master beyond that. The headline is we never have to hear that again. Okay. (laughs) Have we never, we never have to listen. No. um, I, I, I think that it showed that this was the, this has been a very chaotic upset filled season. And this was the, the crown jewel so far, if you will. Um, Nobody could have possibly, and no no one could have seen this coming. In fact, I have to eat some crow. I think it was just last week on this podcast that I said, I think A&M is going to finish seventh in the sec West, but in fairness, they hadn't shown any sign that this was coming. And, um, I'm wondering if not enough was made. I'm not saying this is the only reason. I mean, AM, I think the most impressive thing is that AM, just when you thought, okay, Alabama's taking control now, they'll be fine. They take the lead and AM still comes back and wins. Um, but it was really bizarre to watch, uh, and I mean, Alabama's secondary struggle the way it did. And it was much different than the Florida game. The Florida game was, um, they were getting run over uh, up front. This was uh, Alabama. I mean, uh, AM receivers running wide open. Uh, there was one, I remember one play where two Alabama DBs bumped into each other. There's one play where a guy just let Jalen Widmeyer, the tight end, run right past him. It kind of went completely unnoticed at the time, but Malachi Moore got ejected for targeting two minutes into the game. I have to think that had an effect. I don't think this is a deep Alabama defense. There's some really good players. I don't know that it's deep. I, I, I want, I noticed that Saban 
both in his halftime interview and his post game, seemed like completely unsurprised by all of this. I mean, he wasn't reacting like a coach whose team is getting embarrassed by an inferior opponent. He was kind of nonplussed by it all. Like, this is who we are, and we didn't play well. And when we don't play well, this this happens. It's an interesting little roller coaster we have with the Tide because they come out of the gate and they look just dominant against what has proven to be a not that not a very good Miami team. Uh, as you mentioned, the Florida game, where Florida's looked mortal otherwise, but you know they they got after Alabama and were, looked like the more physical team, and it felt like if that game went another five minutes, I think they would have won. And then they absolutely torch Ole Miss, right? Yep. And so I still think Bryce Young is really good. I think that you know I I, I suspect as any time where you have a a team lose the coordinators kind of come under fire. Pete Golding's defense is definitely coming under fire. Uh, this morning I heard, uh, I was going to say Nick Feinbaum, Paul Feinbaum um, really get after him on one of the sports center hits I happened to see on the plane back, but also, you know, Bill O'Brien, I think there's, there was some frustration with some of the play calls there. But look, give credit the to series at the goal line where they threw three yeah. straight times inside the five was bizarre. But give credit to Jimbo Fisher. Um, first of all, he got Zach Calzada to play much better on a big stage and the whole night. Um, also, the one thing that I I think that they do have is they have a lot of X factor pieces, not traditional wide receivers. You know, they have running backs who could be wide receivers. You have tight ends who run who run as well as wide receivers. And I think that stresses a defense and Jimbo's can be really good at that. But I was impressed by a young offensive line they that played really well. Um, you know, I, I, we, I think you and I both agree that Mike Elko is one of the best defensive coordinators out there. So that's not shocking. They have a really good defensive line that they would – they would be a, they would be a problem for Al- Alabama, and they were. But I don't know. This felt like a little bit like the Oregon Ohio State game, where you just felt like, okay, there's a little bit of a hole that this team is in. We think this is the better team. Now, what's different is Alabama was on the road, whereas Ohio State was at home. But it ended up where, man, at one point the broadcasters, and I think it was Gary Danielson, but may have said when Calzada went to the injury injury tent late late in the game it was like do you go for two here because he, he may be out of the game yeah. and then all of a sudden you know they're saying he got the thumbs up and he's back in the game he's not only back in the game he made a good play with his legs to to uh, move the ball downfield so um a lot of credit to the aggies there that was a heck of a win i don't know to me i don't think it changes much of anything on the top of the food chain to me I still think I'm not saying I would if I had a top 10 vote vote, I would have Alabama number one, but I'm not writing out Alabama at all. Like, I still think they're going to be a playoff team. I think that they are vulnerable, just like, honestly, I think everybody's vulnerable. Like, we're going to talk about Iowa in a, you know, in a couple of minutes and they're really good. They're deserving to be a top three team. I, but they're vulnerable. I just like, I think Georgia, honestly, their offense is a little vulnerable. So, you know, it's going to be a All right. I'm going to, I'm going to, um, I'm going to disagree with you there um, on something. Uh, I, look, I, you'd be no, nobody should ever write off Alabama at any point. They've, but you're about to do. They've that. had plenty of seasons where they lost to an Ole Miss or somebody and came back and won the national title. So I'm not suggesting they're going to implode from here by any means. But uh, to, for you to say I still think they're going to be a playoff team at this point means you think they're going to run the table, 
And if you think they're going to run the table, it means you probably think they're going to beat Georgia. Georgia is the one team amidst all this chaos of this season. This, this 2007 ish feeling to this season that has been unstoppable. Uh, maybe that's not even the right word, just impenetrable. Their defense, they beat Auburn 34-10. Auburn scored one touchdown. It was, according to Seth Emerson, our Georgia writer in his story, the first touchdown all season allowed by Georgia's first string defense. Um, they beat, they shut out Arkansas two weeks ago. Yesterday, Arkansas put up almost 700 yards on Ole Miss in this 52-51 shootout. I will be Georgia wrong. Georgia is really, really good. I'm willing. I'm not disagreeing with you. I think the concern is how good is their offense. Well, you, I, I is it is it is it last year's Alabama offense? No, no. But it's Stetson Bennett is playing in place of JT Daniels right now and doing great. Okay. Um, Put it this way, with that defense, if that defense keeps playing like this, I predict they may not need to score more than 17 points to beat Alabama. It is October 10th. This is Stu Mandel giving his blessing on how good you think the the Georgia offense is. I'm just saying, I think we need to see a lot more before we're talking about them being unstoppable and everything else because the defense is so good. Well, you might get an answer to that this coming week. It's six and zero Georgia against six and zero Kentucky, who probably uh, put the the final straw in the in the Ed Ogeron era yesterday. And it's not. I mean, it's 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 an int- very interesting offense that with a lot of wrinkles with Will Levis with those two running backs with Wondell Robinson. So if you want some sort of indication that the Georgia defense is vulnerable, I would think this would be the game. And, and, you know, Kentucky's got a really good defense too. So if, if they, I don't know, cause Stetson Bennett to throw three interceptions, then maybe I, I let's wait, a little, let's, let's wait a little longer before we start talking about, uh, you know, impenetrable and unstoppable. And, you know, I think George, but just to be clear, you said, I still think Alabama's going to be in the playoffs. So I do. I don't, th- that yeah. means you have them running the table. Do we think there could be a two loss sec team in there? Uh, if that team is Texas A&M, right? No, it's not going to Texas, Texas A&M, A&M just beat Alabama. And no, it's not going to run be the Texas table from A&M. here. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, I think it's possible, but that Georgia's not going to lose two games unless there's some, you know, catastrophic scores of injuries and Alabama can't lose another game before the SEC title game and expect to be in the playoff. I don't, think. I don't think Alabama's going to lose again. All right. You've heard it here, folks. This isn't like anything. This is the Twitter headline, Alabama, who has has who almost lost at Florida and did lose at A&M is not going to lose another game. It's not crazy. Um, All right. So we're going to. So you you want to talk about crazy. Let's put this what happened Saturday in perspective. Matt Brown, one of our editors and, and a college football history buff. You've probably, if you read The Athletic, you've seen his stories for sure. This spring, he did a story where he came up with a formula to uh, rank the greatest Saturdays in college football history. And it has to do with how many top 10 games there are, how many top 25 games there are, how many upsets there are, et cetera. Number one on that list in the spring was a day you and I both remember well, um, the Saturday in October of 2005 that had the Bush push. 
Mario Manningham's walk-off catch against uh, Penn State, etc. So he ran the numbers again last night, and guess what? October 9th, 2021, is one of the top 10 greatest Saturdays in the history of the sport. It was so great that I watched in the noon Eastern window while you were, you know, occupied with your Ohio state, Maryland blowout, just a, a red river rivalry game that had everything, everything you could pot wrinkle. You could throw into a game. Every storyline you could possibly throw into a game was happening. And yet I kept flipping over to Arkansas, Ole Miss, Arkansas, because they kept scoring touchdowns every, by the end of the day, Arkansas, Ole Miss beating Arkansas, uh, 52, 51, when Arkansas's two-point conversion misses, was like the eighth most interesting thing that happened. That's how crazy a day it was. So, uh, as you said, I was at Ohio State, and by the time uh, our game ended, as you said, it was a blowout. Um, my brother was texting me updates of the Red River game in Ole Miss, Arkansas, but I got home to see the Kennedy Brooks. I got home. I got to the hotel room to see the Kennedy Brooks run to, uh, to seal it. I'm just curious about the – because I didn't see anything of the Ole Miss Arkansas game. And it dawned on me, it's like you have Kendall Bryles against his brother-in-law, um, and who's the play caller for Lane, Lane Kiffin there. So you have that full-on Baylor system on, at both places or elements of it. Did it remind you at all of the West Virginia Baylor game where Geno went wild and it was 70 to 63 in Morgantown? I mean, it remind yeah, it reminded me of any number of Big Twelve shootouts over the years where nobody can stop anybody. Um, but really, the story of the game was at the very end. Uh, uh, at Ole Miss, not at Arkansas, at Ole Miss, um, KJ Jefferson, six seconds left on the clock. KJ Jefferson scrambles, scrambles, throws incomplete, and somehow after all that, there was still one second left. Lane Kiffin looked like he was going to murder somebody. How could there be one second left? He's He starts praying on the sideline, actually. Um, so given that one second, they throw a touchdown. They, and then they are going for two. And um, I, if, if Arkansas had gotten that two-point conversion, I would not have wanted to be the Ole Miss clock keeper. He would have needed security to get out of that stadium. Uh, but, but Ole Miss survives. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's talk Red River. I don't know if this has ever happened in, in the modern history of the sport. And we've talked down here about Spencer Rattler and how we thought that the hype was premature. But I, at this point, he it's not just that he hasn't uh, 
something happened. Something happened with his confidence. I don't know. But at the first half of that game yesterday, he just looked so not sure of himself, basically. And he had two two turnovers. Um, the only like really good play he had was on a flea flicker. And meanwhile, Casey Thompson's going nuts. Bijan Robinson has a crazy 50-yard touchdown. And you're thinking, okay, uh, Oklahoma had been living dangerously all this time. And now it's 28 to 7 at one point, right? That was the biggest 28 7. Yeah. Um, 28 7. It was 28 7 when, when, and you know, you're wondering, is he going to go to Caleb Williams? Is he going to go to Caleb Williams? He brings in Caleb Williams on a fourth and one. He busts a 66 yard touchdown. And you're like, oh, geez, okay, the legend is born, right? But then he brings Brattler back in. Uh, Not until it, not until the second turnover, his fumble, does he bring Caleb, you know, does he make that shift? And gosh, he, I mean, give credit to Kennedy Brooks. He was a big part of this as well. But I mean, it was just the whole team changed. The whole game changed with Caleb Williams in there. Suddenly they can run the ball like we thought they'd be able to run the ball. Um, and, and, and then Oklahoma's defense in the second half, um, for the most part was, was really, really good. So the whole, I feel like the whole tenor of Oklahoma season flipped in the, with the second half of that game, where now I do have confidence that they can make the playoff because they've got a quarterback now. So, and that's very strange to say because they had the preseason Heisman favored as their quarterback before. So, do I get credit for touting that there was going to be a breakout no. coming from the Oklahoma offense? You absolutely do not. I told you that over text because you you said it was going to happen with Rattler as the quarterback. I do want to give credit to somebody we both know in the coaching profession who told both of us last year before Caleb Williams even got to campus that he was going to take Spencer Rattler's job, that this kid was that special. And you really saw it. I mean, he just had a, he has that it factor. Um, and, and the fact that he's mobile and he can run because Spencer Rattler doesn't even try to run anymore. Just suddenly gaping holes for Kennedy Brooks. So, uh, this is the Oklahoma team we thought we'd see. Yeah, and the person you're referencing is Hall of Fame coach Jim Donnan. Um, he has been, yeah, like he said it for a year. He said it over the summer. He like to the point where I like circled back with people I know at Oklahoma on their staff to be like, and they were adamant that it was going to be Spencer, that Spencer was at the same stage where Kyler Murray was in terms of not, he was skill set was similar, but just in terms of grasp of the offense at this point when it kind of took off and it's not happened. And, um, you know, Donovan was on with, with Caleb Williams and what he thought he was going to be. And it didn't, you know, um, yeah, I'm I'm fascinated to see what Oklahoma can become from 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 this, and and what also how Lincoln Riley handles it. Quite honestly, because you know there was a I don't even know if it's fair to call it a controversy, but the we want Caleb chance a couple of weeks back, and you know I think a lot of people at Oklahoma are really uncomfortable with that, and so a lot of times I think you know fans always love the backup anyway, but I. I think it's like sometimes you're like, okay, what are we not seeing here? You're not at practice. They are. You don't know yeah. what they're, you know, at the same time, it's what happens in the game. And you're all of a sudden, okay, maybe we have to rethink this or whatever. Maybe we're overcomplicating it. I don't know. No, who knows? Maybe Caleb Williams will get a shot as a starter and it, and he won't be as, as uh, hot as he came out. I don't know. Um, but, I, you know, I, when you started to talk about this about, you know, no historical recent context of it. 
I was trying to think back and I'm sure it's happened where there has been like a Heisman front runner who just, now, first of all, there's so much wind in his sails because I think because of Kyler Murray and because of Baker Mayfield and, and, and Jalen hurts to some extent, but where there was a guy who just was anointed and then ended up getting overtaken. I'm sure it's happened. Like, you know, like to, to some degree, I remember even you go back Texas and OU and I know it's the, the anniversary of the Roy Williams game. Chris Sims kind of had that. And Baker was kind of not Baker major was kind of uh, nipping at his heels constantly. And you had the one guy who was the five star with the famous name was kind of like, probably the closest thing to an Arch Manning kind of figure because he had a famous dad and he was, he's been hyped up a lot and more measurables than the guy who ended up, you know, um, ended up shining a lot of times when he went in there, even though he didn't physically look like that much. So, but I'm sure there's other examples. I just can't come with any off the top of my head. So I threw this out there to the crowd and the only one that's been brought up to me and it's before my time. So I couldn't, tell you if this is a, a, an accurate comparison is Terry Dean at Florida um, Spurrier's first big quarterback. This is Jane Matthews, Terry Dean. Yeah. But I don't know if Terry Dean was the preseason Heisman favorite, like Spencer. Rattler. I don't remember that at all. Yeah. I, that, I remember Shane Matthews being super productive, but yeah. it's, it's not even the same to me as Tua coming in and, and replacing Jalen Hurts, which was, you know, obviously a, a huge, shift uh from Jalen Hurts had been the starter for two years at that point a very successful one but but uh, Jalen Hurts was always uh people this didn't believe a, he was a good passer this you isn't know, a hold up by the way no Terry or Dean what? yeah Terry Dean had really pretty ordinary stats as a no no but that's what they're saying that Terry Dean was really really hyped and then he was disappointing and he got bent I mean there's plenty of examples of a guy really really hyped I think Spencer Rattler was a lot further along in terms of that process, though. I don't, you know, there are guys who've been hyped who don't live up to, you know, don't live up to it and then get overtaken for one reason or another. I, but I just don't think it's like to this yeah. degree. I just think, you know, and I wrote about it after the Nebraska game. I just think he was anointed that not because of his actual performance, but because he's a Lincoln Riley quarterback. And just this assumption that after the run of, Baker, Kyler Murray, and Jalen Hurts, he's, you know, he's going to be the next one. And now I will say it's not that he's not progressing. He's gone backward uh, for whatever reason. And, and it's actually been kind of puzzling that Lincoln, like Lincoln Riley wouldn't even come out after the game and say that he's switching to Caleb Williams going forward. I feel like he's being, he's probably being really protective of Spencer Rattler because he knows he'll lose him uh the, the once this change takes place but yeah I'll, I'll be really i don't know what happens with him assuming Caleb williams is the guy going forward at the very least he's hitting the transfer portal but i don't know i think when you're the presumed number one pick and you've got lee steinberg's agency representing you in nil you're planning to turn pro uh but he would not would not be a wise move, I wouldn't think, based on how he's played this season. Before we move on from this, so like I said, I didn't see, you know, the game. If you're a Texas fan, how do you feel? I mean, obviously, you you, you saw a lead evaporate mm -hmm. that was huge. But I mean, do you feel like, all right, I see signs here of we are on track? Are you, you know, what, like, what are you thinking right yeah, now? Yeah, I think you're heartbroken 
by the way, your guy, Emmanuel Acho started crying on television. He, he was live on television when, when the, when, when the, when the uh, Kennedy Brooks touchdown happened, he started crying. All I know is I saw he was like, he, the suit he had on this week was like, yeah, the, the jacket was out of something Alicia Silverstone wore in Clueless. So. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, you're you're heartbroken, but you know, you I, I don't see how you couldn't be encouraged. Casey Thompson, like you know, is, Casey Thompson put up stats that were so ridiculous. It's like, how did this guy lose? Now, credit to Oklahoma for for shutting down B. John Robinson in the second half, but you know, you still know what you have with B. John Robinson. Texas is going to win a lot of games going forward, but they're you know, behind the eight ball now. I mean, the the good news is in that conference, right? I mean, if you finish second, you get another shot. You probably get another shot at Oklahoma. Could be, could be. Um, all right. So we, you know, we hit on the, the two early games. We haven't even gotten into what happened in the big 10 yesterday. Yeah. And that's how crazy a day it was, is that we're 20 minutes into this podcast and we're only now getting to the top five game in Iowa city that lived up to the hype. So, so we were both pretty high on Iowa. I felt like I was a little higher on them coming in than you were. Um, so just like, you know, I don't want to say they're Georgia because physically they have, they don't have the beef up front like, like Georgia does and probably not as much speed up in the front seven, even with that size. But there's a little bit of, to me, there's a little bit of the Georgia feel in this regard. Amazing defense have a good running back, you know, have some capable receivers, but you know, you're not sold on the quarterback in terms of good enough to, you know, in Georgia's case, I don't know if it's good enough to win a national title and maybe I'll be wrong in, in Iowa's case, I'm not sure if it's good enough to be a playoff team. So you watch them against Penn state, which Penn state had them up, I think 17 to three. And then Sean Clifford, who was making plays with his legs and, you know, having a pretty good game against that defense, save for a couple of turnovers, ends up getting hurt and doesn't play in the second half. And they go to an inexperienced quarterback and eventually Iowa overtakes them. Right. What do you, I mean, Iowa. I think the disappointing thing about this game is that the Sean Clifford injury leaves you forever wondering what would happen if he'd stayed in. Um, now I'm not, I've seen some pretty extreme takes out there in Twitter land that uh, the way he, you know, the way Penn state was playing, they would have beaten them by 20 if he'd stayed in. I don't know about that. I mean, he threw two interceptions. Um, Yeah. They were up 17 to three off of, uh, I mean, short field. Uh, You know, they had a 75 yard touchdown run, a touchdown drive. And the next one was a 39 yard touchdown drive off short field. So the problem is that the guy that came in for him just wasn't ready for the moment. Uh, there's no other way to put it. I mean, have you ever heard of a team getting eight false start penalties? No, I, I know that. And they were all after uh, Clifford went out. Yeah, it's a tough. So situation. clearly like they, <laughs> I mean, if, if you want to say Iowa got lucky because they got a break because of that. Okay. But, I don't know that it's a guarantee that if Sean Clifford stays in the game, Penn State wins. They might have intercepted him two more times. I think it's – I've never seen anything quite like this where Iowa's defense every game gets interceptions. Turnovers are supposed to be somewhat lucky. It doesn't seem like it with Iowa. They're always in the right place. Yeah, and people know kind of what they're going to do. They're just really well coached. I think they're they have done a really good job of – 
uh, our colleague Scott Docterman a really good story on how so many of their DVs, almost none of them had other power five offers mm-hmm. or maybe they had a power of five offers a running back or something like that. And so they have really been ahead of the curve on that and they have a clear identity to it. You know, I look at them and think the big 10 to me is the most interesting conference in college football right now. And what you have, and we haven't gotten to Michigan, Nebraska yet, and there's a plenty to talk to about that. Michigan State, I don't want to say they're they're under the radar because they're undefeated, but you know, oh, they're definitely under the radar. Yeah, they're the lowest ranked of, or at least coming into this weekend, they're the lowest ranked of those Big Ten East teams, and and they are really good. Yeah, and so then obviously I saw Ohio State, and I think they are a different team than they were when they lost to Oregon. So we're looking at this. And, you know, who do you think, and we're in middle of October, who do you think, if you had to rank them, who has the best chance to win this, to win this conference? I mean, it's going to be really unoriginal, but I'm starting to think that for all the, all the, you know, drama here early in the year that Ohio State ends up winning it because, that offense is just so good. And, you know, I'm now, I think Iowa could be 12 and 0 going to the big 10 title game yeah. uh, because the West is so much worse than the East. And I still think they're three and four after last night. And I still think Nebraska is probably the next best team in that division. Um, you know, it's going to be hard for right. anybody out of that group of Ohio state, Michigan, uh, Michigan state, you know, Penn State's got a loss already now. It's going to be hard for any of them to run the table in the Big Ten. Uh, but uh, you would think Ohio State would have the best shot. If, if somebody's going to do it, you would think it would be Ohio State. Yeah, I would make the case Ohio State has the, the most explosive offense in the country. They haven't seen it up mm-hmm. close. Their offensive line is really good. It's big and athletic. They have the best group of receivers. They have a really good tight ends. Uh, Trevion Henderson – like I drafted him in our little Heisman fantasy deal, and I'm happy with that pick because he's gonna. I don't think right now you could put him ahead of Kenneth Walker, Bijan Robinson, but he's gonna. He he is an amazing talent just from being around there a little bit. And C.J. Stroud's playing really well. The thing that to me is going to be interesting is they are they are very different schematically in what they're doing now. And I think you have a lot of young DBs who have, who have emerged. I still don't think their defensive line is the nasty group that it's not even close to that, but um, you know, Maryland was, it was like a recipe for disaster for Maryland. Like obviously they lost Dante Demas, who was the leading receiver in the conference last week. And in my open hit of the, of the, um, my open hit of the of the broadcast, I talked about the two guys Mike Loxley was hoping would, would replace him. One was Jay Sean Jones because he felt like he was a playmaker, but also could p- pick up that the real emotional leadership piece, or at least some of it. And then Daryl Jones. Well, on like the first play from scrimmage in the game, Jay Sean Jones catches a pass. It's a short gain and then gets carted off the field with an injury. And so he was done. And they're also down their top three cornerbacks. Ohio state is the last team you want to play if you're down three cornerbacks. So I think, you know, what I want to see from them, and I think it's going to be interesting because the two Michigan schools, I think 
could present an interesting challenge because they both run the football really, really well. And they have clear identities now in that regard. Well, Oregon runs the football really well. I mean, you know, Joe Moorhead does a lot of funky stuff and really knows how to attack people. But those are going to be interesting matchups as, as we get closer. I still think Ohio State will be the favorite because they're going to be lighting people up offensively. But this is, you know, again, I would, after Ohio State, who do you, in that division, is it Michigan? Is it Michigan State? Which team do you have right now the most confidence in? I think it's Michigan State. Uh, I don't think they're getting nearly enough credit. And, you know, you talk about a test for that Ohio State defense to see how much better they are from that Oregon game. The thing that strikes me about Michigan State is how balanced they are. On offense, they've got the number one rusher in the country in Kenneth Walker. He is an absolute stud. He had a 94-yard run against um, Rutgers yesterday. But they're not all run the ball. They've got uh, an excellent passing game as well, which when's the last time we saw that about the Spartans? Peyton Thorne is the 11th rated passer in the country. He's got a 14 to two touchdown interception ratio and Jalen, Jaden Reed and Jalen Naylor are both um, among the top seven receivers in the big 10. So it's a very pick your poison kind of offense. And can they keep up with Ohio stake in their defense? I have no idea. I don't think that defense has really been all that tested yet, but um it, could, it seems like more of a matchup problem for Ohio State than Penn State, where, first of all, we don't yet know how long Sean Clifford's going to be out. But if, even if he's back, I mean, Penn State wins with their defense. They're, they're dominant on defense. They're okay on offense. Penn State, the, the thing that I, that I think that makes them dangerous for Ohio State is they have really good secondary. All four guys are big-time players back there, and they can get pressure, and they got linebackers who can run. It's not Micah Parsons, but they, they got really good. They got legit NFL talent at all the levels, especially, you know, at linebacker and, and DB, you know, and they have, they have playmakers at receiver. So I don't, again, it's like as Clifford goes, like I could see them, you know, giving them a really good game. Yeah. Um, the la- one of the last games of the day was, you know, was lost in that to some degree lost in that A&M, you know, uh, Alabama window was Nebraska and Michigan. And uh, I'm sure you saw it or maybe you saw pictures of it. This, the look on Scott Frost's face after Brad Hawkins strips the running back mm-hmm. and there's a fumble and it's like, oh my God, we're going to lose this way. You know, and it's like, this was not like Nebraska. Dom- this, this wasn't like Nebraska against Michigan State where Nebraska, I don't want to say they dominated, but they were more in control. This was more... You know, it was a back and forth game. Michigan ran the ball really well. I thought Michigan's offense looked better than it had, you know, realistically in a while. And yet uh, Nebraska was in the game. And then all of a sudden it's like a pivotal moment. And it's just another way to lose for Scott Frost. Okay, Stu, back to the podcast in a second. But now a word from our sponsor, LinkedIn Talent Solutions. When you are hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just a jobs board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else 
even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within the first 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. So, post your job for free at linkedin.com slash audible. That's linkedin.com slash audible to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. First of all, we even mentioned Michigan when we were talking about those Big Ten teams, but to me, they they look better each week. Uh, yeah, it was a, it was a, a fortunate to s- escape kind of win, but now Cade McNamara is a, an active part of their offense as well. Scott Frost, I, I kind of watched him at the end of the game and you're right. He had that reaction, but even once the game ended, they kind of, the cameras kind of tracked him shaking Harbaugh's hand and coming off the field. And I, I'm pretty sure he was holding back tears. And I think, he just looked so devastated. And I just think that he knows that like, this was his chance. This was it. They had this team. They could beat this team, a top 10 team. And, and the narrative would have flipped on, on, you know, on the, on the direction of that program. And they lost again, they lost in the same way. And they're three and four. They are. I, I don't know how you could watch Nebraska and not think they're better than they've been the last few years, but the record says what it says. They're three and four. Um, I think they should be able to beat most of the teams left on their schedule, but they're not, you know, you'd have a hard time saying you think they're going to be Iowa right now. So I'd have a hard time saying they're going to be Ohio State too, by the way. Ugh. Yeah. So you're talking about maybe a six and six season, which is not what you would hope for in year four from Scott Frost. Yeah. That, and that's the thing. Like, look, this is probably the worst Wisconsin team we've seen in a while and they play them at, at Wisconsin, but as you said, Iowa, they get both Iowa and Ohio State at home. But if they, let's say they win at Minnesota, Minnesota's obviously lost to BG. They're not very good this year. Purdue is not. BG not. lost to Akron yesterday. Yeah. So how did they beat Minnesota? That's bizarre. So, so of those teams, I mean, if you're a Nebraska fan, I don't know, short of an upset, a huge upset against Iowa or Ohio State, I don't know how you're going to come out of any, there's not going to be a win where you're going to be like, all right, we feel really good about this beyond just, hey, we kind of, we kind of uh, stammered our way to six and six. A little bit of breaking news, right after you said mentioned Wisconsin, Wisconsin announces redshirt freshman running back Jalen Berger has been dismissed from the program. Wow. Uh, Jalen Berger was like kind of the the great hope as a freshman last season. He has kind of disappeared this year. Um, here's the question for you, Bruce. Uh, if Iowa goes into the Big Ten title game 12-0 and and loses to, we'll say, 11-1 and Ohio State, you know, for all the talk about Georgia and Alabama both making the playoff, isn't this the exact same scenario? Would Iowa make the playoff as the second Big Ten team? 
I think so. I mean, look, they have a what I think is a pretty good win. It's not a great win, but it's a pretty good win at Iowa State. Um, you know, looking at it back, they're going to have a really good win against Penn State. So I I just think that the, you know, like Alabama is going to get so much more of the benefit of the doubt from community sure. members um, that I think it's hard to compare anybody to Alabama, fair or unfair. You know, that program is the gold standard, right? I mean, even I have trouble saying, and look, I, I think I've picked against Iowa three times now. Like I really should have learned my lesson by now, but they're the number two team in the country now. And I, I think people are going to have a hard time believing, you know, Iowa, which doesn't have the four and five stars, which doesn't even really have a good offense is actually the second best team in the country. But I think they absolutely deserve that ranking now. I just think like they may have to go. They're going to have to win the big 10, I think to go because of what you just said. I don't think if you're comparing them as a one loss team to one loss, Alabama or a one loss, big 12 champ. I just don't think they're going to win that argument. Yeah. And that part's going to be fascinating because we were, we're almost at midway point of the season and you're going to get a lot of, a lot of back and forth. Um, we mentioned this this team, this game in passing because we talked about Kentucky a little bit, and I think Mark Stoops has done an amazing job there. Kentucky whipped LSU really bad. I mean, LSU actually ran the ball a little bit in the game, which was breaking news for them because they've been so awful in the ground game. But they could not stop the Kentucky run game. Kentucky ran for 300 yards, and, you know, like we – I think one of the best hires of the offseason is one that Kyle Tucker and I wrote about was when Mark Stoops went to came out here to California, Los Angeles, and grabbed Liam Cohn to be his play caller. And Will Levis is a really good fit. Will Levis is a, has an absolute bazooka for an arm, but he's really strong. Ohio State fans will remember him, you know, gaining yards and running over some people and carrying people when they had to play him when he came in the game. I mean, they have Chris Rodriguez is one of the most underrated players, I think, in the country. And they have, they're good on the O-line and they're, they, their D-line gets after you. Um, but so I think we can talk about Kentucky a little more, but obviously to me, the headliner there is Ed Ogeron goes from being on a really hot seat to it is scorching now. And yes, short of two big upsets in the next two weeks. One is one, they play Florida and then they go at Ole Miss. I, I think it's a matter of, of uh, when, not if, just because the, you know, it's crazy because like, you know, we talked about this, I think recently on the podcast, we're not even two years removed from him winning a national title, but the momentum of the program, he made, two bad hires last year, one a spectacularly bad hire as his defensive coordinator. And then this year he hired two really inexperienced, unproven play callers and Durante Jones and Jake Peets. And it's not worked out. I mean, those guys might prove to be good, really good coordinators down the road. But at this point, I think there's just, um, they're, they're not ready for the, for the pressure that they're dealing with at this point. And, whatever momentum they had is completely gone. And uh, I think we're in that, that uh, if not when stage at this point. 
the headline on Brody's column says it all. The night the dam broke for Ed Ogeron. And I wanted to alert you to a comment you may have missed on there from Dan Kay. And it says, it's the Bruce Feldman curse. The Canes have never been the same since Kane mutiny. Ogeron got fired after meat market. Leach got super weird after Swing Your Sword. I think he was always super Ooh, weird. Leach was always super weird. It, and now Flip the Script comes out and Coach O is back on the hot seat. It's the it's the Bruce Feldman book curse. Hmm. Uh, Where when you write books about people, they get fired. Um, yeah, I mean, he there's no coming back from this. Uh, and it's, you know, at this point, I'm done being like, oh, but he just won the national. I mean, the program, it's like you said, you know, not just that they're losing. He has just really poorly managed the program post national championship. The, the hires have been very underwhelming. It was easy to blame it on Bo Pelini last year, but their defense is still bad. Um, I think the question is, like you said, it's now when, not if. And then in a market where USC is already open, Miami may come open. I, I think LSU is probably the most attractive job of those that would open and, and, you know, Scott Woodward is going to try to get Jimbo, but uh, Jimbo's got a pretty good thing going there in college station. Yeah. And I don't, you know, that Jimbo obviously worked there before. I have no idea if he would want to make that move or not, you know, to me, the guy, and I've talked about this for the last couple of days, the guy who I think stock will shoot up higher than any other coach right now is Mark Stoops. I think mm -hmm. you look at their schedule they have a real good chance to get to 11 wins this year. He won 10 a couple of years ago. I mean, to do that at Kentucky is amazing. And also, he's made really shrewd hires. You see it in his coordinator moves. I think that he deserves a ton of credit for going to find Liam Cohen. But also, this is a guy who geographically is very flexible. And what I mean by that is a lot of guys – you can't really see out of their region. Mark Stoops is from Ohio, played in the Big Ten at Iowa, coached at Miami and at FSU, and was a coordinator in the Pac-12. Now, I think from, you know, is he a Hollywood guy? No, but most guys are not going to, most football coaches in college are not going to come across that way. And I'm not saying he should be the top of USC's list, or, but to me, he's the guy where people... And again, I, I hate to say this for Kentucky fans because it's like, but that's a tough place to sustain. And Georgia is always going to be Georgia and Florida, whether, you know, Dan Mullen can take them to the next step or not, we'll see. But those two places are really, really tough to, to consistently, you know, overtake. And so I don't know. Do you think I'm crazy for, for talking up Mark Stoops that way? Absolutely not. Mark Stoops has, he's, he's built a program there and they, they fell back a little bit last year when they had to play an all sec schedule, but you just look at the, you know, he's been there since 2013 now and it took a while to build it. But once he did uh, starting in 2016, seven and six, seven and six, 10 and three, eight and five last year to five and six, six and zero oh starting this year. I don't think they're going to beat Georgia this week, but but maybe you know he's going to beat them after play. they play Georgia. By the way, look at the rest. Yeah, no, they should. They can win every game. Um, they're not. Let, let's be clear. They're not. Um, I mean, they, they they've had close calls against some some not great teams this year. So it's not like I don't, I don't think they have necessarily the margin for error. Almost everybody has had or, close calls too, though. What's that? Almost everybody has had close calls. 
Yeah, but I mean, their close calls are coming against teams like Missouri. I know, but Michigan, and South Carolina, Michigan State so. had a Michigan State had a close call against Nebraska. You know, it's like I think you either. I mean, South Carolina is is absolutely terrible, mm-hmm. and that score was sixteen to ten. But I do think the last two weeks at home, you've seen Kentucky come alive and beat. And when does Kentucky ever win back to back games against Florida and LSU? They and, don't. And what they've done, Stu, is. They have not turned the ball over in the last couple of weeks and they have not made hardly, they've hardly made any penalties. So they're playing clean. I think this team is really trending in a good direction for them. You have a quarterback who's got a big time skill set who I think is getting more comfortable and you got, you know, identities on both lines. They, they're physical now. Um, yep. It's, it's cool to see how good that program is playing. I think they're, one of the better stories of this season. Mark Stoops, the interesting thing there is that he has, he was on Miami's coaching staff, right? On the great 2001 Miami team. He would be, I would think the perfect hire for them, but you're suggesting, I don't think you're wrong that like he can, he can do better at this point. I just don't know if you're like, um, you know, Scott Woodward is such the splashy hire guy. And these were, you know, Chris Peterson was a great hire for him at, at, at Washington when he was the AD there. And obviously Jimbo to get him out of uh, FSU at the time was a big coup. But I don't, you know, like is Mark Stoops going to be a sexy enough name if you're at LSU? I don't, I, you know, I have no idea if, if that is something he'd want, if he'd want to be down there or not. Um, I just, you know, I don't know. I Obviously I thought if Miami were to come open – knowing what uh, people down there thought of him at the time, like he wanted the FSU job by all accounts or by a lot of accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, he bet they want a mulligan on that one. Yeah. I mean, look, credit to uh, Mike Norvell. We've talked about him a little bit. He had a really nice win uh, over he the weekend did. against North Carolina. Which is apparently uh, that was one of the Mac Brown's uh, comment about how it's the media's fault was one of uh, said what now you never, one of the stranger. I don't post-game. know how you know this. I missed this. Um, it's one of those ones where I bet if I saw the video clip, it would make more sense than it looks in writing. But uh, he said, my expectation is to win every game. So three times we've met it and three times we haven't. The national media expectation, the expectations for us to be a top 10 team were wrong. So I guess we should all be critical of the media for picking us too high because we're not that good. So you guys all screwed it up. Okay. Hey, by the way, speaking of ACC, um, shout out to Dave Clawson. He, 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 uh, proved us wrong in our upset special, although it looked promising for, a while. yeah, it was dicey there for a second. Garrett Schrader was running wild, but now Wake Forest is six and O the other thing that, that I thought of is Wake Forest is six and O and a guy who, who halfway the way to the Heisman would be a finalist. Kenneth Walker is not there. I mean, so they're doing all this without one of the yeah. best players in the country. One more team game i want to mention real quick it happened friday night arizona state whoop stanford they are now alone in first place in the south moving up the rankings i mentioned this in in final thoughts but andre Ware was the analyst on the game and i there were at least two or three occasions where he just really went out of his way to sing the praises of of antonio pierce the defensive coordinator um and it it just it kind of sunk into me what a surreal uh situation this is antonio pierce is the center of this big ncaa investigation into asu that we 
talked about at length in the summer where it just seems like, you know, the NCAA has got the goods on ASU and it's a matter of, of when, not if that the hammer comes down in, in some way, but they're having this great season. Maybe they're going to win the PAC 12 and it's kind of like a race against the clock. What's going to come first. They pull that off or the NCAA, uh, I mean, the NCAA moves so slow. I would, I'd assume it's not going to happen before the end of the season, but ASU to me is, is probably the best team in the conference, given that Oregon has all the injuries they have. I could be not high enough on the ducks there, but they've got two great running backs. Jaden Daniels is playing really well and their defense just really got after uh, Tanner McKee. And this is a week after, you know, taking it to UCLA. Yeah. I mean, right now they're, they look like they're the class of the, of the PAC 12 South for whatever that's worth. And yeah, you're right. As an, it is an interesting dynamic in terms of, you know, where that program is perception wise and where they were um, in terms of an NCA ongoing NCA investigation. I mean, is it being too dramatic to say that I would be very surprised if Antonio Pierce still has a job there next year, but in the meantime, he might be the coordinator of the defense that leads them to glory. Yeah. I, I, who knows at this point? Cause like from everything that I've heard and we've reported at the athletic is, you know, it's not just Herm. It's the, it's the basically the number two AD who is overseas football with his knowledge of what was going on. I mean, it's like, they have really backed uh, Herm and Antonio Pierce is kind of like the de facto head coach in waiting and is heavily involved in everything in that program. So we'll see. I mean, I, th I think the fact that it's happening, you know, in the PAC 12, it just kind of a little bit falls off the radar at times. Completely. So there is that piece of it. Well, it's such a big day. I'm sure we missed something really obvious, but um, we, we can follow back up in our second episode this week. You can, uh, you should definitely send your questions to the audible pod at gmail.com. We answer them on our Wednesday episode every week, the audible pod at gmail.com. See you guys next time. Mm -hmm.